Hey everyone, welcome to Break Your Bubble. So excited to get this going for this semester. Uh, we've taken a long break and now we're back. Today I'm co-hosting with Solu. Um, and yeah, I'm super excited to get this going. We can just uh, jump right into it. So the topic for today is we're gonna be talking about censorship. And the reason that we wanted to talk about this was because we all know about Trump's banning from a multitude of social media platforms. And, you know, obviously from that, a whole bunch of practical, moral, philosophical questions were raised. Um, and so, you know, what we want to do is dive into some of those questions and see, you know, where people stand and, you know, in general, talk about freedom of speech. So I, I want to take you guys briefly through an outline of the podcast. So first, we're going to talk about um, Trump's banning, obviously. We're going to talk about the things that precipitated it um, briefly. Uh, we'll talk about, it's sort of a related thing, um, Parler being removed from the Apple and Google stores and Amazon Web Services ceasing working with Parler. Um, that whole discussion will be our first section. Now our second section, we'll be talking about three other current events that are a little less prominent, but still very relevant to the discussion of freedom of speech. We'll be talking about one, I think the most recognizable one is Gina, Car Gina Carano's, sorry, Gina Carano's firing from Disney for her tweets. Um, the second one, a UCLA student being dismissed from uh, the team based off of, you know, surface text messages and videos, uh, racist text messages and videos. And then lastly, we'll be talking about the, we'll be talking about Zoom and Facebook um, not allowing a Palestinian uh, freedom fighter to come on to their um, platform and enter a roundtable discussion with some professors. So without further ado, we can get into it. But first, I wanted to introduce our lovely guest for today. So if you guys wanted to introduce yourselves, um, Seth, you're the first on my screen. So if you wanted to kick us off. Yeah, hi, um, my name is Seth. I'm a first year here at Brown. My, my concentration is uh, math and economics. Mm -hmm. um, and, but I'm also interested in, in politics and uh, learning more about politics here at Brown. Word, 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 word. And Sammy, you're next on my screen, so if you wanted to go, that'd be great. Yeah, sure thing. Uh, hi, my name is Sammy. Um, I'm uh, technically a senior. I'm a 2021.5-er uh, studying public health, and I hope to do a master's at Brown in public health as well. Um, and uh, outside of the university, um, uh, I'm very involved in the local uh, organizing scene with uh, Providence DSA and Reclaim Rhode Island, and um, historically, I worked at not historically, but <laughs> recently, this past summer, I worked at the Department of Health as a COVID-19 case investigator. And um, prior to that, uh, worked as a field organizer and a Muslim constituency organizer on the um, uh, Bernie Sanders campaign, the Bernie 2020 campaign. Great, great. Thank you. Thank you so much. And finally, we have Mira. Hi, um, I'm Mira. I'm also a first year. And I'm really interested in political science and visual arts. And I'm also interested in the club No Labels and that organization in general. And I want to get more involved in bipartisanship, um, whatever that means. I mean, in college and outside of college in the real world. So, yeah. 
Great, great, great. And now I think Solu will be taking us through the first section. So Solu, um, if you want to go ahead. Yeah, definitely. So, um, you know, after the uh, January 6th riots, you know, uh, where, you know, a bunch of very um, hardened Trump supporters stormed the Capitol, many social media platforms believe that, um, you know, he bore a lot of responsibility for that. And as a result, they ended up removing him from their various platforms. And to go even further, uh, big tech companies like Apple and Google uh, removed Parler, which is a prominent uh, conservative uh, social media platform uh, from their services. So I think like these events kind of sparked the larger question of whether or not large tech companies can take on the responsibilities of banning important political figures, especially someone like Trump, who, you know, despite his controversial, <laughs> despite his uh, controversial uh, participation in these events, you know, he still does retain like 47% of the support in this country, but or are they justified in their actions? Like, like, especially given that perhaps some might say that he's an unhinged leader. So I'm definitely curious to hear your thoughts on that. Uh, I can go first. So I think with this, the, this idea of social media in general and the way we've mixed social media and politics in the uh, 21st century, I, I, I have a big problem with that because we chose to become addicted to social media and have it be pretty much the thing that rules our world. Um, it didn't, it, it was never necessary. It wasn't one of those things when they were writing the constitution, they were like, we need to have Twitter be the way that the president is gonna tell everyone what's happening. That's just something that we created. It's not necessary. It's, it's also an, ent they're entertainment platforms. So I have a big problem with this idea that like, when, when um, these platforms take away the voice of politicians, like politicians have so many ways to get their voice across. They have money, they have, they're, they're, there's newspapers, there's uh, other forms of media and there's public platforms and these are private platforms and they don't have any responsibility to promote any sort of politics whatsoever. So I think, I think they have full disclosure to do whatever they want. Um, and I think it's kind of crazy how much our society has become reliant on social media to get information. Like we've, we've created that and that's, I have a big problem with that. Yeah, um, I mean, I definitely, definitely agree with that. And like, you know, I think that there's kind of two issues at play here. There's like, on the one hand, there's the constitutional question. And then on the other hand, there's more of like maybe a moral or um, what, what is the right thing to do type of question. And I think from the First Amendment perspective, I don't, you know, in the, in the First Amendment it has to do with government censorship. And I don't see this to be government censorship. This is, uh, you know, private companies um, making choices. Um, and I, but on the other hand, from a more of like a, what, what is the right thing to do? I think that, uh, I, I think that it's, it's important that social media companies make really clear what their terms of service are, you know, beforehand. Because I think that what I don't like the idea of social media kind of having a lot of discretion to decide what they like, what they don't like. Um, I think that it needs to be clear that, you know, if you are spreading misinformation, if you are inciting violence, that's not acceptable. We're not going to platform you because we don't want to promote things that are harmful to society. 
that's that's fine. What I don't think is okay is um is is saying that I I don't like your politics. I don't like I don't like that I that hurt my feelings. You know, I think that it needs to be it needs to be clear that what what is allowed and what isn't. And I think in the case of of what Trump said, I think he definitely did incite violence and I definitely think I mean he was spreading misinformation about the election. So I think it's reasonable for them to um ban his account, but I think just more generally, it, it really needs to be clear what is and isn't allowed beforehand. And it's not, it's not coming from pressure from the public or anything like that. It's just Twitter or Instagram or whatever, just following the rules that they put out before the, when the account was made. Yeah, I mean, I guess to, to avoid like the talk of uh, consequences for Trump, because that's a whole another uh, discussion. I, I actually think that like, the question of should these tech companies be responsible for essentially censoring people, removing, deplatforming them, um, punishing them for speech that's deemed uh, illegal or unconstitutional? Um, no, <laughs> like these are these are tech companies based in mostly in Silicon Valley. Um, uh, you know, I don't think it should be Jack Dorsey's. I don't think Jack Dorsey of Twitter should have the ability to, for all intents and purposes, remove someone from what is uh, essentially the greatest public forum of today. And like, you know, I, you know, I hear, I, I definitely understand why social media is problematic in a million ways and we shouldn't be relying on it. But I think the, the reality is that like people use social media as a public forum um, and um, you know, internet usage more broadly speaking, in my opinion, the internet should be regulated as a utility like, like water and like electricity. Um, and with that would come um, like, the way to adjudicate these situations wouldn't be from a private company, it would be through the court system. Um, and um, I know people are like, oh, well, we don't need more lawsuits, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, you could put in tort reform to try to prevent a whole slew of lawsuits. And that's a whole another discussion. But what, what the path we're going on now is that unpopular speech, and I'll leave it at that because it's not just Trump, unpopular speech, both left, right, whatever political uh, origin, um, that is deemed unacceptable by the algorithms, by Twitter, by whoever, that's what gets deplatformed and removed. Uh, and there is no avenue for regress. Um, you know, in a court, you have the ability to appeal and to um, make your case, whatnot. Um, I think Trump's gonna have, uh, you know, he's gonna get reckoning through like different lawsuits at the state level. I mean, there's a bunch of other stuff uh, that, that went on on that day um, and, and prior to it um, around election law, but, um, yeah, I think it's it's a really dangerous slope, and I know we're going to get into it with the Palestine discussion. But um, when you when, when we let these companies do what they want, um, they will just do what is most politically convenient and expedient for them. Because um, we got to remember, it's not just um, that they're sort of neutral actors. Um, these companies give political donations. Uh, in fact, quite sizable political donations. Um, so they they do have uh, they are political. Um, and while I think what Trump did was like deplorable and stupid, and um, he really left his any notion of a populist message that he had in 2016, he completely abandoned it throughout his first term. Um, you know that that the, the violence that I think he pushed forth um, that should be adjudicated through the court system, not by you know Silicon Valley and all of its sister friends and um, organizations that all got together and banned Trump from everything. It was amusing. Um, I don't think it was the right way to go though. 
Um, but I think the PGA thing was the funniest one because that one was not really censorship. They were just like, you can't use our golf courses uh, or excuse me, we won't do our matches at your golf course, which I thought was um, kind of funny, but um, it was an overall very unfunny situation. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. So Mira and Sammy, you guys are coming from two obviously different uh, perspectives. And one of the questions that you guys actually both alluded to, but I wanted to get it more out of you guys. So Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, do you think, you know, these social media platforms have been have become such intricate part of our lives? Sammy, you, you alluded to this, such a such a widely used utility that they're approaching the, the realm of, you know, public good, of a fundamental right, a fundamental right in the in the 21st century of Americans. Or do you think you know, you know, the other, the other side of that is, are they merely private platforms? <laughs> are they, are they merely private platforms that if you don't follow the rules that they make up, then they can ban you? What do you, what do you guys think about that? Um, I, th I think that they are private. I think I, I, I'm weary that they are going to become public plat public goods. Um, but what frustrates me so much is that we, we like, created them ourselves like we are the we're the creators and we're the users so it's like we're just hurting ourselves in this process by making them into this public good and i see right now i feel like we're right in the in this like on a line where if we if we just make it maybe we can kind of get away from this social media craze and i think in a couple of years it's going to be too late and sammy will be right and there's a lot of political power in in these um, in these Silicon Valley people, but I think right now we still have a chance to kind of move away from what is really controlling our lives. Um, and I wish I, I and my my hope is that with all this that's happened and with the amount of power that Trump had just from Twitter and all these uh, the cancel culture, all this stuff, how much power it has over us. My hope is that people will be a little bit um, kind of feel distasteful towards social media. At least I know I have. Um, that's really idealistic. That's probably not going to happen. But and also just to speak to something Sammy said before, like I, I, I think the idea of having Silicon Valley um, choose what's happening politically, that is that is scary. But it also it was necessary if we didn't if we didn't take if we didn't ban um, Trump from Twitter, I don't know what he would have done after in the afterward. I mean, he could have mobilized so quickly. So I think it was maybe the, the moral of it was a little bit iffy, but the actual action was completely necessary. Yeah, I think that um, there, there's, a, there's a trend that really is like, I think a lot of the reason why there is such a dependence on these like, these widely used platforms, but it's because when people search for media, um, what they'll find is that a lot of their local sources of news are disappearing. Um, they're being literally ran out of business. They're being bought up, um, monopolized, corporatized. Um, and what comes with that is people's, I think, very warranted and necessary criticism of mainstream press. Um, and I mean, I guess I, I would refer people to um, Noam Chomsky's manufacturing of um, consent uh, to see more like of that thread. But um, I really do think that's been the main source of why people, I mean, in addition to like, 
you know, like the, the fun of Twitter and TikTok and, um, you know, shit posting and all this other stuff. But like, um, I do think that, you know, the lack of trust and um, just transparency and just not corruption in media is what's driving people to alternative sources of news. Um, and a lot of those can be found and can be signal boosted on these social media platforms. Um, and I think like, I think Elias, like with your question, you were sort of m mixing the, the, the question of like internet as utility versus like uh, public forums of discussion, debate and the moderation of that uh, along like free speech grounds. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, you, you can't fill out a, a job application. Um, I, I, I'm start, I mean, for me personally, like filling out applications for internships and, and jobs, um, I'm increasingly seeing, do you have access to reliable internet um, as a question? Um, because of this sort of, especially in, you know, uh, middle class, upper middle class uh, academia fields, um, extreme reliance on internet. I'm not saying that should be the norm, but, um, you know, uh, in a lot of places you can't pay your bills or um, get anything ordered without access to the internet. So I, I do think it needs to be regulated as utility. And um, I think Texas proved what happens when you don't regulate things uh, well as utilities and you let the, you know, private market do what it wants. Um, things tend to go wrong uh, rather quickly. So. Yeah, I think I definitely see the internet um, in general as a utility, um, just because of, you know, literally, like, if you don't have internet, like, at this point, like, where we are 2021, like, it's, it's hard to literally do anything. I mean, apply to college, get a job, even like paying now a lot of payments going going online, too. So um, the internet, yes, absolutely. I think it's a utility. Um, what I, but you know, in terms of the individual platforms, you know, Twitter, Instagram, et cetera, I think those are ultimately still, still private. And that's why, and I, I kind of think of it as like, you know, if someone wants to, you know, use their first amendment, say whatever they want, you know, they can go into the street and say that and they can yell and they can do whatever, but you know, they can't go into, into, uh, a store and say and they're allowed to get they can get kicked out of the store they can get kicked out of of of, of private uh private areas um if the people who, who who control those private areas want them to leave and that's why i think i was in support of twitter banning trump because he was you know doing something that violated their terms of service what i was less in support of was parlor getting banned um for the reason that you know yes Google services and um, the app, the app store are still technically, you know, they're not generally the internet, but that was like an entire, you know, service getting banned. And that was a place where people were going to, um, you know, exercise their free speech. Although there was a lot of really bad stuff being said, I think that, I think that banning that is really, it, it is somewhat problematic. Um, but yeah, I mean, in terms of, of Twitter themselves, I do ultimately see them as as, as a, a private company. And you know, like Seth, I think that your premise like would hold true if it not were for every single one of these platforms is taking explicitly political stances and it's all they're also stating things as facts. So the idea of fact checking and what is authentic and what is the sort of accepted narratives um, is in the hands of these private corporations and a handful of, you know, media conglomerates. So, um, you know, 
I agree with you. If it were, you know, if it were a completely like de disconnected um, space from the political realities and governance and all and, and, and media, um, you know, if it was just a group me where you know people were going back and if it didn't have there, there, there's a lot of implementation of um, uh, narratives and, and and fact checking and, and authoritative sources and whatnot. Um, so. I think that almost invalidates a lot of, of, of what you were saying in that, um, you know, they aren't just, they're, they're quasi public. Um, they're not just private corporations. They're, they're quasi public when they, you know, collaborate with public institutions, when they collaborate with media, when they um, work with the official narrative as put out by state actors like that, that blurs the lines. And um, I think we're seeing the consequences of those blurred lines because now there's this, you know, group of people who are the official, you know, the official fact checkers and the, the right people that are putting out the, the, the sure narrative. But um, we constantly continue to see holes in those narratives, um, even around reporting of uh, coronavirus, especially, um, and how people are hailed as heroes and the arbiters of the good. And then months later, we find out, you know, wow, they were doing some things and maybe they weren't the, you know, the truth tellers that they were portrayed as by these platforms. Uh, case in point is Governor Cuomo of New York. Um, you know, so I, I just want to put that out there because I don't, I don't think it's as simple to just say they're private and that's it. Um, I do think they've taken on a very like, you know, quasi-public uh, role. But they're yeah. not, sorry, they're not, um, they're not needed. You don't have to, you don't have to go on Instagram. You don't need to have a Twitter. I don't have a Twitter. I barely use Instagram. I barely use Facebook. I still know what's going on. Um, I think that's up to the discretion of the person. So, I mean, it's not, it's, it's not, it's not a public good the same way. I think, yes, the internet is a public good and having an iPhone is sort of a public good. There's really, it's really hard to live in this world without specific apps, you know, for money, for email, correspondence, stuff like that. But, but these, but social media is just, it's just a whole nother thing. And it's, it was, it was made for entertainment and it, it still is entertainment. So I don't know. And I think that's, that's the key because what we see is that in, I don't want to even use the phrase free market of ideas in the public forum, like, when you, and I also just think a lot of this is just sort of like group think and trying to form your own bubbles, but like when people want to dissent and they want to find others who dissent and, and explain their reasoning and, and try to organize or do something about it, um, you know, if that's viewed as like against the community rules of whatever platform, then, you know, theoretically the answer is, well, they can just go form their own platform. Um, but Parler was the perfect example of how the arbiters of said platforms, the original, you know, the, the Amazon Web Services, they all, they host each other's servers and they run each other's sites. They were the ones that shut down this alternative medium. So um, I think that, like, again, like, um, this ideal situation is not the reality and that um, these companies are doing a lot of anti-competitive and monopolistic practices, um, which make it to where there almost is no other public forums online um other than these massive corporations and um you know again like i think we're at that inflection point where like how when does like having access to the internet become almost like essential um we're we're right on the precipice and 
I understand why it's like probably not a good idea for us to go fully in on like digital lives and, and everything being on, like an online society. But um, I don't think those forces are going to stop, especially because of like the COVID pandemic we find ourselves in um, and an increasingly like for better or worse globalistic society. Um, but yeah, I, I'll, I'll stop going on this tangent. I think there's like a lot there and that there's just not a lot of people that are um, creating good policy around some of these really important questions. There's just, you know, culture war back and forth, you know, um, uh, lack of like true um, address, like addressing these actual problems without like by removing the corporate influence of a lot of these, you know, actors who are not acting in good faith. They're, they're acting monopolistically and they want to capitalize on, um, you know, people's discontent and anger uh, and directed at each other instead of, um, you know, ideally having public fora for debate, discussion and resolution of conflicts. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely understand what you're saying, but I guess how I see it is I, I kind of consider it like, you know, like 30, 40 years ago, uh, before the internet was was a thing people used. Um, like, you know, someone's crazy uncle can can yell in the street, whatever, you know, for example, I'm just gonna say misinformation, they can go, they can yell whatever they want, they can, they can talk to people, they can walk up to people and say, hey, I'm, you know, they're trying to spread this information. But, you know, if they want to go onto, onto the news, um, to be broadcast to everyone, the news has no obligation to, to broadcast them. And so that's why I feel like in the same way, you know, um, do I think that, you know, Twitter and Instagram should be promoting politics? Um, absolutely not. But I think that they can say, hey, like what you are doing is harmful. And um, for that reason, we do not want to give you a platform. That's not to say that you can't find other platforms and you can't find your own uh, other ways, but ultimately this is, you know, our, I, I, it's, I see it as like, you know, Twitter has, is their platform um, and they can, they don't have, they don't have to give someone access to it uh, just because, you know, they want to have access to it. And I don't think that's any different than, than, than like how it's always been, I guess. Um, I mean, since like, at least since like news has been around because no one has the right, not everyone can just go on the news, I guess. All right, um, great. So um, I just wanna say that this um, discussion so far has been so interesting to me. Like, especially like what you've said, Sammy, like with how like big social media platforms now are so essential as to like how we get information and now, and now that um, you know, local outlets have now been eroded. Like we rely on these platforms a lot. So obviously, when now with them, when it comes to regulating what um, what is said and what isn't said, like it then becomes a lot trickier because like they have so much power. And you know, I can definitely understand your point as to like why we would want to regulate that. And obviously, I understand what Seth and Mira, the points that Seth and Mira have made where like you know obviously like they with great with the great responsibility they have they, it's important to make sure that things like misinformation or things that might be harmful have to be prevented so this has been a very enlightening discussion so far and i we could go on forever but um i do think this is a great point to switch gears to elias um who's going to introduce like the more recent events that uh, we're going to talk about yeah, and I also wanted to speak on. I, I thought it. I thought it was interesting listening to all three of you speak, 
where Sammy was coming from sort of, I, I, was, I was interested in the dichotomy, right? Sammy was coming from sort of more of a like macro sense where it's like, okay, these, these tech companies, like in, in the grand scheme of things, they control ultimately way too much. They control, they have the ability to tell us what, like frankly, to tell us what we can and can't believe. Um, and Mira and Seth are coming at it from more of an individualistic, okay, if, I, if you break the rules, then you know, you're off kind of, kind of, kind of perspective. And it, I just, I just find it interesting how, you know, just, just the mere difference between where you're coming from, from like that macro sense or sort of that individual consequentialist sense, how that can, you know, you know, promote such a divergence in views, we'll say. Um, but yeah, so is right. Uh, we do have to move on. I just want to say that thing. Lovely discussion, by the way, I was, I was fascinated. Um, but I think, I think this whole, this whole freedom of speech and censorship thing is so much more, it's obviously much more nuanced than just, you know, was Trump justified being banned from all these things. Um, and hopefully we'll see some of that nuance in some of these next um, situations. So the first two situations um, that we'll go over is um, Gina Carano's firing and uh, the UCLA student, I won't name him, but the UCLA student who was um, kicked off the team for racist, racist slurs and videos and text messages. So in terms of Gina Carano, um, I don't know if you guys know this, um, if you do great, but basically she was fired from Disney um, from her role as Cara Dune on The Mandalorian. Great show, by the way, recommend. Um, she was fired from her role because of some of the tweets she had made um, in which she essentially equated being a conservative nowadays with being a Jewish person in the days of Nazi Germany during the Holocaust. Um, and that follows a streak of insensitive comments such as, I don't know, putting beep bop boop as her pronouns on Twitter and, you know, stuff like that. Um, and then, you know, obviously the second situation is probably a bit more egregious in terms of offensiveness. But um, this, this UCLA track and field student was had you know text messages and video revealed of him using you know the n-word to refer to um someone his ex his ex-girlfriend was i guess seeing um and he went on a rant talking about how this n-word doesn't have a future ahead of him he probably lives in the ghetto you know all sorts of crazy irrational things um so you know the first question i wanted to ask with regards to this is what does what does restricting speech even look like? Because I, I I feel like a lot of times when we talk about you know censorship and restricting speech, we always get focused in on on you know government action. But these two things don't at all you know involve government action. Um, they involve private private citizens or private companies. We'll say just like Twitter and, and Instagram. They involve those um, those companies banning. Um, or not banning, punishing their their um, people, whether it be you know the UCLA student or um, Gina Carano, punishing them for their speech, with, which they deemed in inconsistent with the values that they want to hold. Um, so I'd love to hear your take on that. Is whether or not do, are these companies you know justified in doing stuff like this? Should companies um, you know not incorporate speech into their punishments do you think it's a violation of that freedom of speech that america holds so dear i'd love to hear you guys' thoughts um honestly reading these stories it kind of just uh, 
solidified for me why I don't like social media so much because especially with the Gina Carano story, I think it's just so easy in this like discourse of online, whatever you say, or whatever you do, it's just so easy for people to say whatever they want um, because there is a sense of anonymity to it. It's not like she's saying it to some, she's not saying it to a Jewish person looking them in the eye um, in person and saying these things. She's saying it, she's tweeting it. She's, she's not, um, yeah. So I, I think that that, it makes it so unconfrontational um, and so easy and so unhumanized that uh, it just, it just, it, it just causes so many problems because she, these pe people can do whatever they want online, essentially. Um, and that's my first problem with the internet in general. And I think that's also cancel culture. It's so easy to just be like canceled, 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 because the person who's saying canceled, no one knows who you are. You're, you could say whatever you want. You could be so angry about something. Um, and in general, I tend to not really like read these types of stories because I just think like people will say whatever they want on the internet but they're not going to say it in person so but then there at the same time there is there's there is con there should be consequences um and obviously what she said was idiotic and you know disrespectful um and I think that but I, again you know, talking and learning about free speech I think I really, I really like to think that if it's inciting violence, like what uh, that that court case that you mentioned, oh, Brandenburg versus v. Ohio, which I learned in a previous class, like just this idea that if you're inciting violence, that's that's where you draw the line. But I do, I do believe in free speech, and I think that it's like, it's 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 a really important American concept that we really, really try to hold true. So again, social media kind of blurs those lines because you can really say whatever you want, so. Yeah, and I actually think that, um, you know, in, in, in these two cases, um, it's not about being censored. It's interesting, it's the, 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 the backlash is not from, um, from Twitter, it's from their employer or their uh, university. Um, so I actually do think that this is sort of all in line with, um, with uh, you know, the culture of a, a toxic political discourse. Um, in the case of Gina Carano, um, the UCLA student story. I mean, um, you got to imagine that UCLA track team is quite large, and you also got to imagine the odds are that there are people on that team that are not white. Um, you know, if I was a teammate of that person and I wasn't white, I probably wouldn't appreciate those comments, um, and. I see no issue. For, I mean, it's just, I mean, it's just blatant um, racism. I don't. I don't. That 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 that's a track team deciding to kick somebody off the team because um, how can you even foster a team spirit when you have somebody like that, um, you know, on your team with you? Um, so I, I I don't. That that to me is like I think more clear cut. It's you know they don't have a right to be on a team, and then some might take that logic to be like, well, you don't have a right to be on Twitter. Um, but again, like I'll sort of refer back to what I previously said about like you know, the internet economy and um, uh, the monopolization of public discourse and whatnot. But like, um, you know, what, what, what Gina Carano said, um, when, I, when I read it, I was like, I, I, I guess I understand what you're trying to say. You used a really stupid example of persecution of a religious group. Um, in fact, like the sort of 
pinnacle of persecution of religious groups, the worst uh, example uh, in, in, in human history. And that's your go-to to talk about like political discourse and disagreements and, and political persecution. I mean, it was a very, I think it was a very just stupid take. Um, but I think the really important part is that like, it's just playing into, um, you know, a culture of, of, of not necessarily like addressing root causes, but of just trying to get clicks. Um, and I, I didn't mention this, but like, um, the algorithm of being online and of all these companies, whether they're content creation or whether they're platforms, um, is ad based. So, um, they make money by selling us really that's a, that's their product you know like the ad profile of me is what twitter makes money off of um so you know this just drives up the ratings and the clicks and and helps disney sort of put on this air but i could easily say you know disney didn't have anything to say when the lead actress in mulan was you know glorifying violence against uyghur muslims in china um they didn't have anything to say. It's a very like, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's just their, you know, corporate uh, PR move. Um, and I, I don't necessarily like support it or oppose it. I just think it's really just emblematic of like the, the, the really stupid and unproductive culture we have in this country around politics and, and speech. Um, and the, you know, just ability of like, you know, again, you know, huge corporate actors to just kind of do whatever they want and not really, um, you know, be accountable to anybody or have to answer any questions. So. Yeah, yeah. And I know, Seth, I know, Seth, you want to speak, but I think it's really important, the distinction that Sammy made between sort of the previous discussion about Twitter and Instagram and these two things. Um, these, the, these situations don't involve Twitter. They don't involve the organization or the one who's handing down the punishment. They don't involve them actually taking away someone's speech because that's what Twitter and then, I think that's what distinguishes these situations from, from the previous ones. They're not technically taking away his, um, Gina Carano's or the UCLA student speech. Like if the UCLA student wanted to, he could say all those things again, if, if he wanted to. If Gina Carano wanted to, she could tweet all those things again. Um, if, you know, obviously in the previous situation, Trump can't do those things. So I think that's, a, that's actually an important distinction that I just wanted to say. And I think Sammy eliminated, so thank you. Yeah, I mean, for me, like reading both of those stories, I was definitely a little bit um, kind of iffy on how I felt about both of them. Um, one thing I, I absolutely like agree with is that when Disney is making these decisions, I, and even when I think you know UCLA track team is making these decisions, I really do think it comes down to optics and you know pr pressure. I don't really think they care that much, honestly. Um, and like, yeah, you're absolutely right. There's there's cases on. Um, maybe, you know, in other cases there where they didn't, where like Disney wouldn't take action. Um, and I, that's why I really think that it's like, I guess it's so important to just, um, I mean, I know I've said this before, but I just think that like that consistency and like, kind of like, just how, like, you know, making clear, I mean, like even, even like when, you know, like when, when Disney was, you know, they had their statement when they're, they came out, uh, and, and they had that statement about, um, you know, why they, they fired uh, uh, Gina Carano. It was like, they weren't even really addressing exactly what she said. It was like, they're, it was so clear. They're trying to like, not misstep at all. Like if you really, if, it, if Disney really cares about this, say exactly what, what was wrong. And like, I think probably, um, I mean, I, maybe they did this, but they should have been, they probably should have given her warnings and said, this is what you said. 
and this is unacceptable. And then once she crossed the line and they had to, they would decide to fire her. It's like, this is what you did. It's not, Oh, due to, you know, statements like they're, they're just so general. And I think that's what, what is really, um, it, it is, is problematic is that it, it, it has nothing to do with values or, um, what, what it's just, yeah, it's just about like what, what will make us look the best. Um, and then I guess more in like the, the UCLA case, um, I guess I saw it more, I guess, as like an issue of like, uh, the question of like cancel culture and, um, how, what, like in that, I guess. Um, and I, I felt that, um, I think that, I don't think it's, it's obviously unreasonable that he was kicked off the team. Um, I guess if I was in the coach's situation, I mean, first of all, yeah, the coach, you know, they didn't address it until it went public. I mean, the coach knew about it before and didn't say anything, um, which I think is very telling, but I think, I think what, what would have been ideal was is as soon as the coach gets this information is like, first of all, you know, talking to the teammate saying, you know, like, I guess what I would have done was say, you're, you're going to be suspended from the team until you, you know, you have to apologize. You have to, you know, there's a lot you have to do to, to make, to not make up for it, but to, to show that you've learned and moved past this or, and if not, like you're absolutely kicked off the team because I think ultimately, I think the ideal situation is, you know, what the student said is terrible and this student should learn about their mistakes. They should apologize. They should do a lot to, to show that they've, they've moved on and they've become better. And I think in that situation, if they can show to their teammates, like, this is not who I am anymore. And like, I'm, I've learned and I realized why what I did was so terrible. I think that, you know, maybe they have, maybe they can be back on the team. Um, but what I don't think is, what I don't think is good is like, just being like, oh, it, as long as no one finds out about it, we, we won't keep it, we won't say anything. And then as soon as they get pressure, it's like, oh, okay, you're off the team. That is just so inconsistent to me. Um, to add on to that, I think that, yeah, these things are just headliners. This is why I usually kind of roll my eyes when I read stuff like this. Not that the actual content isn't like gross and like also important to know, but it's, I feel like most of the time it's like, oh, look at this thing that happened, canceled culture, she's canceled, he's canceled, but they don't, they don't change. I don't think that UCLA kid is like, oh gosh, like I got kicked off the team. I should like rethink my values. I think he's like, I got kicked off the team and I'm really upset about it. I'm probably mad. It probably just made him more mad. Like, I just don't think these actions or, 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 or Disney doing this. I don't think um, now Gina's like, oh, wow, I should really rethink my value. I just, it's, it's a, it's, it's a movement. It's, it's, it's a statement. It's, it's canceled culture. It's, oh, it's shiny. It's like, oh, look at what happened. And that, that's, that's, that's social media. That's everything. That's everything that even, even kicking, I mean, this is kind of speaking to Sammy's point, previous point, but even kicking Trump off Twitter was like, oh, it was on the news for like two weeks. And it was like, I don't know. Yeah, I, th I think that like, um, <clears throat> the, especially the UCLA situation um, is to me the flip side of what uh, President Paxson does at Brown. Um, you know, prior to uh, a summer of unrest and, you know, brutal killings in the hands of police of, of, um, of black people, um, you know, there wasn't really much going on from the office of the president, you know, at least, at least, in, in, you know, verbally. 
you know, there was commitment to diversity and inclusion and all this stuff. But, 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 but now every email I see, you know, combating anti-black racism and, and racial justice and all these buzzwords that she says, um, but oftentimes her actions speak far louder than those words. Um, and I think, you know, flip side, UCLA doesn't do anything until it becomes public and then they're almost forced to do something and they just, you know, um, put, put themselves off as the virtuous, you know, actor in the situation when in reality, like they're the ones that, um, you know, probably allowed for a culture that develops this sort of like racism on a team in the first place and then tries to cover it up when it is, um, you know, it, it threatens to go public as it were. Um, I'm not saying they covered it up. Uh, they, I'm not saying they, they had threats, but they certainly did cover it up for a while. Um, however, they did that. I, I don't, the article didn't go in specifics on how they, um, how they kept it under wraps, but I don't think it did at least. But, um, you know, I, th I think that, uh, you know, I feel like for people our generation, um, I put too much faith in these large institutions, these corporate bodies to be doing the moral, righteous, consistent, morally consistent things when that's not their purpose and that's, they're really not going to function that way. Um, so it's really incumbent on me to, you know, um, exist in spaces where uh, there is moral consistency, there is moral clarity, there is, um, you know, dedication to justice, whatever the sort of calling is. Um, and it, whether it's political or uh, social or whatever, just, you know, trying to, you know, impart those values at the individual level, but collectivizing it. Um, so it's more impactful that way. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think it's really, really neat that I mean, basically all three of you guys in different ways said that the whole, I mean, this, this, this is basically a censorship podcast. This is a censorship podcast, but each of you basically said in, you know, more words than I'm saying that this censorship issue takes sort of a backseat to sort of larger issues of, okay, as an institution, am I making money? <laughs> it takes a, it takes a backseat to, okay, are we, how's, how bad is the press going to be? How bad am I going to look? Um, and I just think that that's super interesting that that some one of our most fundamental American values actually is taking a backseat. So um, that's interesting. But we do have to move on because we're almost out of time. And I really did want to talk about this, um, uh, this Israel-Palestine sort of issue that Sammy wanted to talk about, and I think is really relevant. Um, so for our viewers that aren't aware of the situation, um, I forget, I forget what the article said, but I'm just going to say recently, um, Leila Khaled, a Palestinian uh, freedom fighter, she was not allowed to, to um, be on a Zoom roundtable discussion. And she was not allowed by Zoom um, to be on a roundtable discussion um, with professors talking about, obviously, Israel and Palestine. Um, because of, you know, pro-Israel pro backlash against her involvement. Um, they pressured Zoom and they pressured Facebook because of her involvement in the hijackings in 1969 and 1970, um, which admittedly no one was killed, but they were, it was a terrorist act, technically. Um, so I think, I think this, Sammy wanted to talk about it, but I think it's, it, it brings, a, it brings about, sorry, a really interesting sort of question that we have to address, like, what determines who can and can't speak? What, do, like, obviously we don't want like Hitler speaking on our platforms, and obviously, if Zoom took the <laughs> took the uh, the onus to to prevent him from speaking on on their platforms, then that would be that would be fine. But at what point does it become we're banning political speech, certain political speech, 
like at what point does it become where something that we're not okay with does it become something where we're discriminating against certain viewpoints as opposed to trying to foster an inclusive space yeah um yeah i i can i can speak first to this i i think that this has a lot of so the 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 trump twitter fiasco uh or just the general censorship um came almost simultaneously to um consistent and continuous till now uh deplatforming of you know palestine organizers palestinians themselves a lot of jewish folks who do palestine work uh, you know, deplatforming of even and beyond the issue of Palestine, deplatforming um, very recently of multiple um, uh, chapters of, of explicitly socialist and Marxist organizations. Um, and if anyone is naive enough on the right to think that won't happen to them, uh, you know, history might prove you different. But um, I like the the backdrop of this event specifically was that. Um, the university was notified um, and their legal team apparently cleared it and they're like, yeah, this is fine. Um, <clears throat> but um, consistent pressure by a lot of, um, you know, right-wing pro-Israel groups um, tried to, and, and successfully got a deplatform um, via Zoom. Um, and I think, you know, what's important to remember here is that that question you asked, like, who is the, who are the people, the person, the body, that is setting the the rules of the rules of, of discourse. Like, what is allowed? What is what is permissible speech and what is unpermissible speech? Again, this is Zoom, Facebook, um, uh, Twitter, you know, YouTube. They're all, you know, obviously they're all owned by this, you know, a select few organizations, but um, they're the ones that set the terms. Um, and um, the basic the basis for you know deplatforming was that oh well this person is included on the U.S. Uh, terror watch list, um, but this is something that I didn't get to in the first part of the piece, but a lot of the censorship moves on Twitter, for example, are coming straight out of the national security state. So um, people that work for and within uh, and advise and consult with, uh, you know, folks from the CIA, the NSA, et cetera, they're the ones pushing uh, hyper securitization and surveillance right now in Congress. They want a 9-11 style commission to, you know, put even more surveillance into American society on top of one of the most surveilled societies in the world. Um, so I, I think that like this issue in particular is a really good um, canary in the coal mine because uh, you know this is un this is unpopular but it's true um, the UN you know international law states that people under occupation um, that are being oppressed have a right to resistance both violent and nonviolent and that is just a fact of international law um, the U.S. uses its definition of terror to demonize specific groups it deems as terrorist groups. And what you'll notice is that there is a lot of inconsistency because uh, we gave Saddam Hussein along with the Germans the ability to make chemical weapons. Uh, and then we later on were like, oh no, no, we're not, he's not, you know, yikes, he's not with us anymore, he's a terrorist. And then we, we did the same thing in Afghanistan. We, we armed and formed like the Mujahideen and then later we're like, oh no, sorry, they're terrorists. Um, so, you know, there's this question of what is, who decides like what is good and bad? Um, and in the case of um, um, in the case of this event, um, you know, it's really relevant that you know all these groups like Facebook. Literally, in the article, it said Facebook has an oversight board, and an Israeli minister sits on that oversight board. Um, and if you know, I don't think we should be naive enough to think that um, due to that oversight, there's going to be um, a lot of anti-Palestinian bias introduced into the system, and that's literally what's happening. Facebook is trying to. Um, literally right now there's an active campaign at Facebook trying to um, make a uh, discussion of the word Zionism 
um, which is uh, defined in a lot of different ways, but it's you know uh, basically a political project started in the late 1900s by uh, to uh, make establish a Jewish state. Um, it's trying to make criticism of Zionism, like a negative portrayal of Zionism, as anti-Semitic, in, in line with a definition of anti-Semitism that's being popularized in the U.S. called the IHRA. So this is all happening, like almost in complete radio silence. Um, and I, I think people on the left and the right are just ignoring it. Um, but it is going to be the thing that determines like how people are censored and if people are censored, hopefully not. But this is people are being censored and this is laying the groundwork for how it's justified and what systems it goes through. And, um, you know, who talks about it and who's quiet about it. And if everyone's quiet about it, this is all going to get implemented. And it's going to keep creeping in and closing the box of what is sort of allowed and permissible speech and what is off limits and therefore uh, censored. So sorry, that was a really long spiel, but there was just a lot going into this piece that I think really needed like um, a little bit of explanation behind it. Yeah, I definitely saw this this situation as, as, as quite a bit different than the, you know, Trump getting banned on Twitter situation. Um, the, the main reason being that, you know, with this, it's not that Facebook is banning um, this person because because of something they're saying they're using their platform to do wrong no this has nothing to do with anything that she's ever done on Facebook before this is something from you know 50 years ago and they're saying because of something you did unrelated to us now you can't now you can't be on Facebook and that I think is is, is quite different and that's why I definitely did not support this it seemed like Facebook was getting pressured by you know foreign powers which is also not something you want um and and yeah like i think that um i think that like you know to talk to speak a little bit on on the um the ihra uh definition of anti-semitism um um you know as someone who is jewish i find it very problematic because judaism and israel are different and judaism and zionism are different and like kind of conflating those two things as like the same is i think very problematic because like it, it leads to like people assuming that, oh, you know, you're Jewish, so you, you must support Israel. You must, you know, it's not, that's not how it is. And like, um, you know, I think pushing that definition is, is just so that you, people push that definition because they, they want a way to, to easily stop people from saying, hey, I don't like what the Israeli government's doing. Um, and then they do a lot of bad things. Um, so like, I, I find that that definition bad. And I think that what, what Facebook is doing um, is, is, is bad faith. And it is, um, I, I, I agree that oh, about the direction um, that, that, that Sammy's talking about with this. Um, I guess for the sake of consistency with my original belief on like just the general idea of free speech, um, it still is in line with this idea of like, if it's inciting violence, and I think it's clear that Trump was, I mean, we know he was inciting violence. So that was clear that I think there's a, there's a certain point where free speech um, is no longer free. Um, and in this case, it, it, it doesn't, she's not, she's not explicitly exciting, uh, inciting violence. I don't even, I don't think she ever was. So um, in this case, I feel like if we're going to stick with our morals of what free speech is, then um, kind of deplatforming her is kind of just going against uh, the the system, and and it's it's just it's it's inconsistent, 
I think that's like the most important thing with all everything we're talking about and censorship in general is choose one way to go about it and you do that way no matter what because that's the way we're gonna avoid these these um political biases and favoring one over the other like if we want to be a cooperative uh system government american people and you know world also we're gonna have to uh be able to think in a more nonpartisan way and uh stick with stick with what's inherently um you know the rule of law to be to be kind of old-fashioned um but yeah in, in the same way i do agree with um what seth and sammy said but thinking about it more in a in a constructional sort of way yeah and i'll add actually the um uh in in sort of more traditional media i guess it's not it's really not traditional i'm trying to think of a a good example but but recently there was a columnist who wrote at the guardian um which is an online publication that's you know historically relatively left on the spectrum um and uh he had a tweet that he put out um uh, this is nathan j robinson um but he had a tweet that he put out where um he was basically uh joking that um uh you know with every defense budget or or spending bill that's passed uh, part of it has to go uh, to Israel because that's American tradition. Um, and then he clarified in a subtweet that, you know, it obviously was uh, a joke and, and more of a critique on how, uh, you know, uh, U.S. U.S. aid, uh, uh, military aid is, is um, vast and uh, not not great. Um, but so I, I think you know, he was he was then fired, I should add. Sorry. Um, so, I you know, uh, I think the the arbiters of again, like of what is good and what is acceptable speech, the fact checkers, the, 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 the mainstream, you know, thinkers, um, they're very happy to cast aside, you know, quote unquote unpopular uh, issues um, uh, and say that that's off limits or, you know, you can't say this or that thing. Um, even when, you know, any objective analysis, just like you two thinking about it, it's like, yeah, like, you know, it doesn't really, you know, it fall, it's more, it's, 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 it's consistent with um, the freedoms as, the freedoms of speech as they're espoused in the constitution. Um, so that's, that's, I mean, I think that's a really, um, you know, crucial point that um, more than any, more than, you know, anything that happens to Trump as an individual, um, you know, what's been coined, um, you know, uh, Trump derangement syndrome by some, um, but what really is just an obsession with an individual as opposed to an analysis of the system and a critique of the system, um, that will easily lead us down the hole of increasing surveillance and in a hyper-securitized state uh, with a lot of restrictions on freedom of speech. Um, and that's just not a place that I personally want to live in. Um, and I think most people, like when they sort of have an objective look, they do the readings, they do the research, they, they think about it a little bit and they talk that they come to pretty similar conclusions of like, you know, um, you know, speech in general, the remedy to bad speech, if you consider it bad speech is more speech, not less speech and filtration and, and arbitration and, and, and control. But that's, I think that was my big takeaway from like, you know, talking to you all today. Um, yeah, I mean, I definitely, um, <clears throat> I, I definitely understand that. And like, I think it, it is, it is hard to like, look at, you know, looking at, you know, an individual um, thing where like Twitter says that they don't like what, what Trump said and they ban him. And like, I see that as, you know, I, I think Trump was, was 
inciting violence. I think he was spreading misinformation. So, so yes, that's problematic. But at the same time, I understand that it, it does. It'll, on the other hand, is this a trend that we want to go in? And that, that I'm, I'm, I'm still, you know, figuring out. And I really did uh, like appreciate hearing a lot of, a lot of your points um, because there is sort of the, the difference between, um, well, maybe this is good at the moment, but is, is, is the continuation of this going to lead to, to, to this getting out of hand? So um, yeah, that's basically what I wanted to say. Dope, dope, dope. And actually, you know, Sammy and Seth, I mean, the way we were originally going to wrap up is, you know, us, us obviously saying what we've learned and, you know, some of the things that we found profound that someone else said, but both Sammy and <laughs> Seth said something. I mean, for me personally, um, I really enjoyed the first conversation we had on um, sort of big tech, you know, taking, uh, taking Trump off Twitter, taking conservatives off Twitter, whatnot. Um, you know, especially, Sammy, what you said about how it's not decoupled, how political stuff is not, you know, how these, these big tech companies actually aren't objective, as objective as, as we would like to think. I think that was, you know, a perspective that I never really considered. Um, and so that obviously at Break Your Bowl, that's something we always like, we always like. Um, so that was, that was really profound for me. I don't know, Mira, um, I know Seth and Sammy have both said something. If you wanted to say something that was profound for you or, you know, that you learned and then we could wrap up or solo you too. <laughs> don't want to forget my co-host. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I'm definitely walking away thinking about First, this idea of like the court system, I haven't even thought about that. Um, and in terms of like holding holding uh, politicians and accountable, I mean, I did think about that with the court system, but moving towards that and less towards this like great ban of all like speech um, on social media, that's, that's an interesting point. Um, and I'm also just thinking about, I, I feel like I tend to, like think very micro as we were talking about and just looking more macro at um, just big companies in general and like the years to come and the power they have. Um, that's, that was really interesting. So, yeah. Okay. And um, yeah, I guess um, for me personally, um, again, what Sammy said um, in the, in the beginning with how, uh, big tech companies seem to have a lot of power in our lives. Like not only do we use it a lot, but when we want to seek out information for things that we, um, or seek out like, you know, different opinions, we rely on these, uh, uh, on these social media platforms. And even when we, when a group of people go and create their own social media platform, that, that, that won't even work as, as we saw with Parler. So that was something I really liked. And I guess one more thing that also that I also walked away with was with how um, with the Drina Corona story in UCLA, just how um, optics seem to be the primary consideration in these in these situations, rather than like whether or not it is morally justifiable to reprimand someone for what someone said. And I do think that that is something that is quite concerning. Um, but nevertheless, I, I, I enjoyed this conversation. This was great. I enjoyed getting to know all of you. You guys um, made a, we had a very interesting conversation. So um, I do, I, all I urge is that our listeners um, uh, stay tuned. We're gonna be 
coming out with new new podcasts hopefully within the coming weeks we hope to po uh, post uh, clips of this on instagram and we'll obviously upload the full podcast on anchor so please um share it give it a listen let us know what you think um uh when we post it on instagram uh do comment let us know what you think um the obviously the beauty of of breaker bubble is the discussion that comes from having conversations like this so we'd love to keep it going so please do interact with our content and get the chance and um, i'm going to turn it um turn it to elias to see if he has if there's anything else nope i think i think that was perfect a perfect way to wrap up um one thing I, I really would like to thank our guests you know we did take a, a good amount of your sunday night so we really appreciate it um but yeah that's it um thank you for listening and we hope to see you here again